You're listening to the PCA Next Gen Podcast. We are broken, we are messy, we are student ministry leaders. We've experienced the battles of ministry, and we have wondered, where is God in those battles? So we created this podcast to connect with you. And our hope is that as you listen, that you'll see God at work in our ministry stories. Through Jesus, we are deeply loved by the Father. And we think that anyone can get in on this. So subscribe and connect with us at www.pcanextgen.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the PCA Next Gen Podcast. My name is Mikey Puckett. I am the student ministry director at Seven Rivers Church, and we got the usual suspects today, Matt Hedinger in Miami, Florida, at Old Cutler Prez. Hola. And Meredith in Atlanta at Atlanta Westside as the student ministry director. I wanted to kind of flesh some of this out and talk a little bit about the tension that we can run into working with specifically teenagers is this idea. I think teenagers can get this a little confused, but also even parents and even us, you know, can sometimes run into these kind of like headaches with justification and sanctification and how that looks in the life of a teenager, teenage Christian. You know what I mean? And so really one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is because I did get an email recently from a parent. Uh, and it was, a, it was a fair question. Or, you know, in some ways I felt like she was kind of testing me. I was like, all right, what's, how would he, you know, like I was on a theological test from the parent. But the question was this, um, you know, she was saying that at, her son um, has been interacting with kids that are claiming to be Christians. The context this is, you know, in the email. Um, and she was saying how her son's encounter with these Christians has been confusing because they say they love Jesus, but they still look at pornography. They still cuss and they still watch and, um, movies that are inappropriate. Uh, and then she asked, I was curious at what, how you would answer this question. What must a man do to inherit eternal life? And I responded, but uh, maybe I didn't do a good job. I'm not going to read you that part. Um, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds like say, she wanted the catechism answer. That sounded pretty. Yeah, there's a little bit of this question, and I think it's a question that people can, you know, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? And, I mean, maybe one of you guys – I mean, how would you respond to a parent in that situation? What would you say, you know, via, I, I had, we were doing this via email, so we were just emailing back and forth and had a few exchanges, but what do you guys think? Well, I actually, the first thing I think, cause you, you mentioned that you did it by email, it, it, how we handle these situations so depends on the person. You know, and sometimes the I the first question I would ask myself is is this a is this a conversation I want to have over email, or is this a conversation I want to have in person? Probably, I probably should have done it in person because uh, they she started picking apart the uh, email. Right. Words. Yeah, yeah. Because then then it becomes a battle of. Sometimes there's a spirit of uh, semantics, like yes, like and that's what we ended up becoming. Yeah. 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 Wasn't a great, but she, I mean, all in love and like, I'm probably actually going to see her tonight um, at this, uh, at a volleyball game tonight and we'll right. talk. It's, there was no, by no means I want to paint the picture of this hostile mom. No, but you just know? sometimes that it's being a text and not having facial expressions and 
right. body language in front of it can be uh, lead itself to criticizing text and picking things apart. And, and well, and, and, and the question is a bib- it's in the Bible. It's Luke. 8, mm-hmm. I think I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. It's about the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, essentially? Or what must a, he might even say, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? And as the story goes, Jesus says, well, have you obeyed all the commands, the law of Moses? And he says, yes, obviously that's, he doesn't, isn't aware. So then Jesus pushes in and says, well, then sell all your wealth and give to the poor and follow me. And then he says, uh, I'm not doing that, you know, essentially. And then the people watching this interaction go, then this guy who's like pretty perfect, you know, if he can't make it, what must, what do we have to do to get saved? And then Jesus says, what is, um, I think he says something like, what is, um, uh, this is impossible for man with man, but with God, it is possible essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, I, I'm probably butchering that, but no, no, was, no. of course this is a biblical question. And of course it's an appropriate, like, um, but sometimes I feel like, and I'm not saying this is the case in this, but it's like, are, they're saying, do you know the answer? Are you qualified to determine this? Mer- yeah, I think Meredith. a little bit of it was, what are you teaching these kids at youth group? Yeah. But real, real, uh, Meredith, real, I'm sorry, Meredith, real quick before you go, Mikey, are these kids, are so the kids in your youth ministry, are the other kids she's talking about a part of your youth ministry? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, okay. so the, the, there is an element of like, what is being taught here? What's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. So. And I did mention Luke 18 to her, so, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think one of the first things I would do would be ask questions to get to the heart of why she's asking that question. Cause I think it could, it could stem from multiple different places. She might be asking the question because she's afraid of her son falling into these same patterns. And this, it could be from a place of control. It might not be at all. It could be a legitimate hey, what are you teaching at, at youth group? Are you teaching the gospel? Are you teaching cheap grace? So I think I would first and foremost try to ask clarifying questions to get to the heart of where is that question coming from before I went into the theology. Right. Well, I went right into the theology. So thanks, guys. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Well, no, I mean, to me, what I you're feel right. like... You're 100% right, Meredith that that would have been a wiser, you know, um, I do think I was a little personally frustrated mm. by the question. So I don't, I'm by no means am I saying I responded, you know, well to this or anything um, and, and things like that. But I do think you guys are right in person and question asking. Mm-hmm. I think I fell into a little bit of the trap of the game that, was wanting to be played and you're not going to win that game because she clearly has she no. had an idea of how that was going to but but mikey i think that what you're talking about fits falls in like touches on it's like it's it's like the third rail of youth ministry right like you know they have the two rails for the subway cars that the, the tracks and everything stays on and the third rail is where the power is mm-hmm. but if you but if you touch it you're gonna die right like, like you get electrocuted like that's i think the third rail of youth ministry is the tension between discipleship and and behavior modification. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. there's there is a very 
there is a tension to hold there. Does that make sense? There is, you can't, I think, to, um, one of my thoughts is if you focus just on behavior modification, then you have what I would, you would be leaning towards creating whitewashed tombs, you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. where they're dead on the right. inside, but right. beautiful on the outside. But then you lean on just purely you're good, do whatever you want. Jesus comes mm-hmm. back. He's a great life insurance policy. Why would you not believe in Jesus? Even if you don't really believe, like at least believe so that when you die, like you got that mm-hmm. in your back pocket to be like, I got Jesus. You know what I mean? And then it's just this license to live the whatever way you want. Um, so. And I don't know about you guys, but I find it's it can be really easy to lean towards behavior modification and works with students, especially younger students, because they aren't quite at the point yet where they are able to grasp abstracts. And I think I'm, I'm thinking more here in terms of middle school students. These, this line of justification, sanctification is a abstract, difficult, there's not a formula of A plus B equals C all the time. And so I think it can be easy to resort to more of a legalistic way of explaining the gospel because it's more concrete things they can grasp. Okay, if you're a Christian, then you don't cuss and you don't smoke, you don't drink and you're nice to your friends. That's how you know you're a Christian. Whereas as we know as believers, it's a... repentance and faith and all of these things are difficult concepts to explain. And so I find that sometimes it can be easy without trying to, to create a legalistic ministry with younger kids because it's easier to explain it that way. I can't tell you how bad I want to cuss right now. First and foremost, first and foremost, uh, the, the, the spectrum of like, to me, the idea of like looking at pornography and swearing, <laughs> like the distance between those two things, um, is pretty vast. I but Meredith, to go along with what you're saying, I think, um, you know, I I look at children's ministry as the, and and child development from a child development standpoint as an opportunity to deposit information. This is where kids learn the stories. This is where they learn the, you know, the fruit of, they can sing the fruit of the spirit because they know the song, which I didn't, wasn't a kid. So I never learned that. I mean, I wasn't a kid in church, so I never learned that song, but they, they get all this information and they kind of memorize it and it, and they kind of store that data. And what I think about is what I love about youth ministry is we kind of get to take that data and extrapolate on it and expound on it and, and help them process it and internalize it. Right. So they learn about David and Goliath in children's ministry. But when we get to youth ministry, it's not about facing your giants or overcoming big bullies. It's about one man representing all of his people, right, and delivering his people. It's a picture of Jesus. So I think that this is middle school is the perfect time to start kind of expounding on this idea of, Christians go to church and Christians read the Bible, but reading the Bible and going to church doesn't automatically make you a Christian. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good, that is something good for students to understand is doing 
does is actually doesn't make you a Christian or save you doing like the actions that you take, you know, that your work. And I think this is one of the cool things when I, I love working with kids is when they realize I almost love it when they, and the freedom and the, the burden that's re, you know, rolls off them, hmm. especially the ones that white have been white knuckling, you know, trying to keep everything in right, perfect right. order. And that's, that's not a bad desire. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Or to, but part of it is actually, where's that, the heart of their desire is for their glory and for their, you know what I mean? For their performance. And it's not actually rooted. They've just gotten really good at playing the Christian game. And it's not actually rooted in a love, a relationship with Jesus. It's rooted in a, I don't, I want, I don't want my parents to be mad at me. I want to make everyone proud around me. I'm doing it for the glory of man. And control. Control. Yeah. And so that, when that is at the center, those behaviors are sin, even though they're good. And as a, as a parent of a 15-year-old, I I have to wrestle with this all the time. And that is I have a fear of what I, I don't want my daughter to experience, right? I don't want her to be touched by any of these things. Yes. Insert terrible thing here. But I have to balance that with what I understand about the gospel, what I understand about uh, God's sovereignty and how we – and what our journeys look like. Like we, God works through our life. God takes bad things that happen and, and, and uses them for his glory. So the other thing is we got to look at our kids and say, this is not also not like the end of the story either. No, Whatever's going on with them, this is a chapter in their story. Right. And so who knows how that's going to play out over time. And how God's going to be glorified. Now, that doesn't mean that we accept any of these things, but I think we have to have some perspective as parents and as youth leaders that we are dealing with something that you know is is not right now just this instant. This is someone's life, mm-hmm. and it it takes up place over time. And speaking of a, a life that takes place over time, it makes me think of the quote that by John Calvin, where he says that the lifestyle of a Christian is a a lifestyle of constant repentance. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be a key of what we're teaching our, our students, because the Bible is full of people who sin, people who the Lord used in huge ways, who sin constantly and repeatedly. And looking, I mean, look at David. David sinned in huge ways, what we would classify as big sins. And yet he was called a man after God's own heart. And we see the repentant heart that he had. But a, a fun fact about Psalm 51, which David wrote his his prayer of repentance to God, that was written a while after he committed adultery in kill Uriah. And it was a process. It wasn't this immediate thing that David just picked up his pen right, and right. wrote that song. It was a journey. But I think the key is that he did have a truly repentant heart and he did want to obey God and he did want, he did come back to the Lord and he knew that he had to have God's mercy. He couldn't do it on his own. And he, and he begged for God's mercy. So I think teaching our students what a lifestyle of repentance looks like is 
huge when it comes to this conversation. I think when I think of students, I think, uh, and this is a little bit of my personal story, I was the white knuckler um, kid. Mm -hmm. Um, My life was, in some ways, my decisions to do good things and right things was just out of ease. It was hard for me, but honestly, I saw people who didn't, and I was like, you're like, you're just getting screwed over mm-hmm. to ISS, and you're getting, your life is just so much more rougher just because. Play not, stupid games, win stupid prizes. Right, and so I was yeah. just like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to keep things easy going, and I'm just going to hit all the mm-hmm. targets that every, anyone puts in front of me. Um, I had the resources to do that. I had the parents. I had everything put for me for that reason. And I white knuckled the crap out of my life. And it wasn't until I experienced sin um, Mm. in a way where it was so in middle school and high school, I encountered sin in a way that was so less more concrete and way more like this is a heart thing. Something's going on inside of my heart and desires. It started I couldn't control those desires and heart and um, my world just of like perfection was eaten alive because I'm like, everyone sees this outside image, but on the inside is this just evil that's just oozing, you know, like, and, you know, it was, kill- it actually was torturous and miserable and, mm-hmm. and made me depressed because it made me feel hopeless. Like this, I couldn't go anywhere with this. Um, because there's no way that if anyone saw this on the inside that I, there's no, there's no, no way anyone would love me. That's the big question I was asking. And what I was getting, what I understood, I think was this process of sanctification of taking these steps of maturity. You know what I mean? Um, I understood this like holiness, but what I was missing was I'm never going I, what I was missing was actually this singular act that's justification, the singular act by Jesus, his mm-hmm. sing, his action. And I had no like rest in that because I was mm-hmm. rest. I was pushing into all of my actions and it wasn't, um, until I was in group counseling, um, in seminary. And obviously I had moments of realizing this, but when it really just like went from this is hitting me now is I said, there was these four things that I was like, if these are true about me, which are, and it was all related to my heart and my desires. If these were true to me of me, God could not save me. And my counselor brought this out in me. He said, Mikey, those four things, if any of those are true of you, you have made the decision that God's Jesus isn't big enough to save you from those things. Um, mm-hmm. And I had to wrestle with that. And he's like, you need to figure out, can you, can Jesus save you if all four things, uh, those four questions that you have, like, it was like, if I've been abused, can God can't save me. If I have been an abuser, God can't save me. You know what I mean? And, you know, if I, um, you know, yeah, there's these sins, these categories of like, if these are true of me, not possible. And then I remember him saying, um, yeah, was he was essentially like, listen, like, you need to, your God is small, you know, your Jesus is small. Um, and it's not the Jesus of the Bible, you know? And so, um, it wasn't until I was able to say, if all four of these things are true of me, um, if all four of these things are true of me and if Jesus can save me, then I can 
repent. You know what I mean? Now, you know what I mean? I can yeah, go to him yeah. with this, you know? Well, and, I, and I think that there's, I mean, what you're talking about, and Mikey, that's really personal, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, scripturally, what we're talking about here is is the the prodigal son. Right, which I think is poorly named and probably should be renamed the two brothers or the waiting father. Uh, but the you know mm-hmm. you've got one brother who doesn't think he can be saved, right? And then you've got the other brother who is the rule follower and the and the white knuckler, right? Who doesn't think anything that's is fair. And that's what I've seen. The kids that are white knuckling it, the kids that are like well behaved and, and, and holding on tightly and making sure they're checking all the boxes. They're the ones that when something goes the way they don't want it to go or they think it's not fair, then they're angry at God because they followed all the rules. And how dare their sibling have this issue or how dare their family member die or how dare god do any of these things like i i didn't do all the bad things and i was the good kid in youth group and there's Mm -hmm. tremendous anger much like the older brother in the parable right or there's or we look at this the the mess that we have and there's you know when when this mom's talking about kids doing things and and this is just the way you're you're recounting it so it may not be fair but um yeah, there's like kids messing around and doing things they're not supposed to do. But then there's also like deep wounds that drive behaviors that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Or why, why, what, how they're using that inappropriate behavior to, to, as a balm, as mm-hmm. a poor choice to, to fix some sort of wound. Right. Yeah. Uh, like it's, and when you get, when you're dealing with some of these bigger issues, like it's not just Mikey saying, "Hey, kids, don't drink from the from the front of the room." That kid has to get sober. That that adult has to get sober before they can even start to think about why am I doing this, mm-hmm. right? So there also is like this idea of: Are you just saying the right words from the front of the room, or is there actual or discipleship happening? Right. So that's why I say it's a difference between like behavior modification and discipleship, because only in a context like Mikey, even you yourself said yours was a process of like encountering deeper, darker things. But then you you couldn't do that on your own. The, the, the whole point of the gospel is that we need outside actors to come yeah. in and change. Right. You had to be in in community with a small group of people and someone that knew what they were talking about to help pull that out of you. Yeah, and it was just it was it was getting to the point of white knuckling of like I can't save myself. I can't make I cannot clean this I can't right. sanctify myself. Right. Meredith, what are you thinking? Yeah, I something I tell my leaders, my volunteers all the time, just a continual reminder is we don't want students in our youth ministry that know all the right answers and know all the theology that we're trying to teach them Mm -hmm. and are able to say, give the perfect answer in small group. And I think I have found that the students that have been raised in church their whole lives really lean towards, they know, I mean, they could get up and teach the lesson. They know scripture. They know the answers to give, but what did they actually think? 
what do they actually think about it and, and how does it connect to their hearts I think is a whole other that's a whole other topic and that's something I find especially in younger students really trying to get them to start articulating okay yes you gave the right answer but what do you actually think about that and and getting them to be real and honest about it and and I think that can be the tendency you know I find it refreshing often when new when friends will bring or when students will bring friends who aren't believers and it's refreshing because it's it's they don't have the Christianese yet. They don't have all of the perfect way of, of knowing how to voice everything, but they they genuinely have more of a hunger for the gospel because they haven't heard it before. And I think that the danger of students that are raised in the church, and this is not always the case, but they can either A, be so used to hearing about grace that they're just desensitized to it and like you were saying earlier, Mikey, they think that they can, it's a license to sin. Or what I find more common is B, they have been raised in the church and they have heard so much about about the gospel that they they focus more on knowing the right answers intellectually and being able to say them than what's actually going on in inside of them. And I think that's always my fear is I I would rather I tell I tell my volunteers this all the time I'd rather have students leave our ministry who have really messed up in their lives and have made big mistakes and have ruined their reputations but love Jesus and have hearts of repentance and know how to come back to Jesus I would way rather have that than students that have a perfect track record and know all the right answers and internally don't care about about the Lord. There was, um, Meredith, you, you got me thinking, there's a study, it's actually I think even a TED Talk, they did a thing on, uh, so for example, like when you get surgery, you're on drugs that are like the purest, best drugs post-surgery possible. You know what I mean? But everyone who has mm-hmm. surgery doesn't walk away as addicts. You know what I mean? And then with addicts um what they you know they're using drugs and all those things why are they addicts why does people who have certain you know why they're all you know everyone's experiencing these drugs but some stay hooked on it and they said that what they discovered in their research is that the antidote to people um essentially not falling into addiction is the counter or you know in some ways we can even say like you know the antidote to not to resisting in some ways sin is they said it's relationships the people who are having surgery have established relationships and connections and community like matt was even referring to a little bit that when they get off the painkillers they don't stay on the painkillers because they have deep connections um, and they have you know and it's the people there are people addicts you know and you know in some ways we all can be addicts but they, you know, even when you think about sin, it is relational. Um, and the antidote is a relationship. And a relationship is only possible with Jesus and with God through justification. Okay. And so that is where, you know, and, and my um, professors would say this too, is that, you know, the indicative comes before the imperative. So let's get the indicative and let's get, let's get to Jesus. Let's get to, hey, you're, you got problems, Mikey? Like, 
real big problems. It's overwhelming. You can't clean yourself up. Uh, but Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, and, and, and it is a huge disconnect that the quote-unquote good kid is still in dire need of Jesus. Oh yeah. The kid, yeah. the kid that's you know, even if your kid, quote unquote, is like whatever your top Matt, ten bad things. Kid. I mean, but right, right. Side. But I, I'm I'm going back to the parent, Mike. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah, back yeah, to the parent yeah, yeah. that's looking at. There's two categories of kids. Yeah. There's my good kid, and there's all these bad mm-hmm. kids, right? And I don't want my kid right. to go to youth group and act like and learn to act like the bad kids. That that's one of the undergirding fears, and and. The hazard for the good kid is that they don't know that they need Jesus mm-hmm. because they're not doing anything bad. But every quote unquote that's good that isn't for the glory of God is sinful. Right, right, right. So, but whereas you know, one of one of the best experiences I ever had in my life was I had a um, one of our executive pastors. I, I mean, like one of the pastors that I was under that was an executive pastor was heavily involved with recovery and invited me to go to uh, Saddleback in California for the, um, I'm trying to remember what the, is it Alive Again? Or what's the big, it's, it's, it's like AA, but it's recovery and it's came, it came out of Saddleback and I can't remember what it's called. Um, oh, Celebrate Celebrate recovery. recovery, yes. So I went to the National Celebrate Recovery Conference and I, and I went to a worship service with, sex addicts, drug addicts, whatever, across the board. But the beauty of these people was that none of them, their addictions had created such huge messes that they had to, mm-hmm. they had to get into this kind of program. And right. so there was no hiding mm-hmm. from their sin. And to mm-hmm. worship with people that cannot hide from their, the mess that their sin has created and the way they cling to the cross it's the closest thing I've been to, to, to heaven, this side of life. Right. Um, and so that the, the huge, a huge part of the gospel is understanding our need for a savior. And it doesn't matter what the top, whatever we think are the worst things that people do. Right. So like for instance, homosexuality, like, well, you know, I may, I may look at pornography, but I'm straight. So I'm better than somebody else. No, you still need a savior, right? I may not look at pornography, but I I lied and I talk I disrespect my parents. You still need a savior. We're all we're born. And this and this is where the theology, right? This is the theology of how theology drives how we do ministry. Right? If we believe in original sin that we're all condemned because of we're born sinful, we're born guilty. That changes how we view kids. That changes how we address these things. That changes. No one's better than the other one. We're all equally disqualified from God. Mm-hmm. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. I love that, Matt. I mean, that's what I meant by saying I'd rather have students in my ministry that have royally. Yeah, hundred percent. You're dead on. Lives, you know, because it, they they know their need for the Lord. And I think, you know, we are all complex 
humans and complex individuals. And I think you touched on this a little bit ago, Mikey, but the truth is, is living in a fallen and broken world and just the effects of sin on our bodies and our minds and our hearts. We good student, bad student, however you want to label us, so much of what we do is interwoven with things that are beautiful and good and true and things that are sinful and selfish. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I was actually just talking to a pastor at my church yesterday and he was explaining someone that he knew in his past who he got really frustrated with this person because they, he noticed that they would always leave church immediately and never talk to anyone and never invest in relationships. And he was like, I, I wish they valued relationships. And then as he started talking to this person, he realized, oh, the reason that they leave church and don't hang around and talk to anyone is because they actually value relationships so much that they're afraid they don't like the shallow talk and just the we're just going to chat a little bit after church and and they value relationships so deeply that they would rather they would take people to lunch and really sit down and get to know them so it's like this it's easy to look at something from the outside and say okay this is fully simple or this is fully good and righteous and with us as complex human beings it's often it's a mix it's a mix of things and so i think I always am cautious to have one student that's like the poster child of the youth ministry mm-hmm. and on on the servant leadership team and doing all of the right things because they could be doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. And on the inside, they could they could be doing it fully for wanting to look a certain way or appear a certain way. And so I think we just need to be careful and we need to remember that we are complex and there's a lot more that goes into our actions that both a mix of good and bad yeah i think even like and wanting to shift maybe even more towards that sanctification conversation of like you're i i love when i get to sit down with a kid and they're like i'm not sure if i have faith like god still loves me i've and be like no once you're saved you're saved like it's done sealed delivered like signed sealed it's over you know like it's finished like christ has died for you and, you know, I've even seen, seen kids cry because they've been so nervous and they've been doing the sinner's prayer every single week at youth group, which is essentially repentance, though. I'm like, just keep repenting. You have a heart of right, repentance. Right, right. You know, that's good. Uh, your justification is done. You're, salva- you're justified. Now let's, let's keep repenting and let's, let's, let's work on some stuff. Let me hold you accountable to some things. Let me check in on you. Let's walk this walk. And let me tell you, it is the slowest sanctification is incredibly slow with kids. Right. I mean, it right. is definitely I, like a kid comes to you and say, Hey, I'm looking at porn. And then, all right, man, well, you need to quit, cut that out next week. You better not have looked at it or else, you know, it's, and then the next week he's like, Oh yeah, we're good. I'm saved. I'm done. It's all over. We're, we're, it's never like that. It's like, no, I still, they still struggles. They'll still walk through it. Um, but what we're doing is, is the gospel gives us the opportunity to have connections and community and relationships, even though we're sinners in that community. Mm -hmm. And in that context, we can hold each other accountable, pray for each other, reach out to each other when we're weak and struggling and are able to foster more and more obedience over time, over years, over a lifetime. You know what I mean? We're, 
working on things and working on habits and moving away from things. And it's just, it's just, and also you don't know that this kid, you know, people don't know that this kid's saw porn for the first time because their dad handed them a magazine. You know what I mean? We got to work on that. You know what I mean? Like, and get into his story. And it's just a lifetime effort. You know, I'm still going through my childhood. 30, oh, 31, yeah. you know, I'm still, I'm, I got to go to counseling still for this stuff, you know, because I'm trying to, trying to and grow in Christ. Our goal as youth directors should always be to point our students to Jesus and their hope in Jesus, not their hope in obeying perfectly. Yes, obedience is fruit of a heart that's been transformed by by having faith in Jesus and understanding the gospel, but ultimately our hope is in Jesus. Our hope isn't in our perfect track record. And if we think it is, we are all going to be depressed all the time. Yeah. Meredith, like when you were talking about, you don't want your kids, you, uh, I forgot how you phrased it, but you were, you were delineating between what, what you want your kids to walk out of the youth ministry with. And, and one of the things that we say is on our team is I'm not interested in my kids being authorities on scripture. I'm interested. I want my kids, I want scripture to be authoritative to my students. Mm. And I think that there's another turn of phrase, and this, these are difficult balances to create is that we want our students to revel in the joy of obedience Mm. that comes from salvation obedience is a fruit of salvation yes. it is not yes. the cause of yeah. salvation right so we want them to, to to understand the gospel we want them to respond to the gospel and then in their growing depth of the gospel we want them to to joyfully obey mm. right that, that as as an act of yeah. worship not as an act of qualification so while i'm not in, like, and, and again I, I sympathize with the parent like the parent sometimes comes to us like fix my kid make them stop doing this that's behavior modification but walking with a kid helping them understand the gospel discipling them in such a way that they the joy they find the joy of obedience mm. that and that, that that is actually true freedom yeah living living how we're designed is true freedom not western freedom which is i can do whatever i want that's the Western ideal of freedom. The biblical view of freedom is I can live. I am free now from sin. I am no longer a slave to sin to be a servant of Christ mm-hmm. and to live the way I was made to mm-hmm. live. Not. And so that's that. I You know, we, we've talked. We talked about this with Walt when we had to have Walt Mueller on. The Western idea of freedom is I can do whatever I want leads to these choices that were never choices before. Mm-hmm. Right with identity, with gender, these things that bend logic and biology, like the natural order that God created, in a very tangible physical sense. So that's that's part of why we I think we have to do the it's harder work to move students through discipleship to joyful obedience than it is to yell at kids and say, you know, oh hey I'm looking at porn, stop it. <laughs> yeah well that, that's all we have to offer is stop it like don't we have more to offer than that we have to offer god the spirit the son the father to help with all of that and we need to constantly be living 
a lifestyle of dependence on Jesus ourselves. If we lose sight of our own need for the gospel and mm-hmm. our own need for for Jesus, then we are going to be terrible at our jobs. Because at any moment that we start thinking that we need Jesus less than our students do and that we know better than them is a moment we do not need to be working in student ministry, I think. Yeah, and I actually, I, I yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Meredith. And I think when I have this conversation with you guys, that's just what I keep uh, reveling in is like, man, I'm just so glad that I'm saved. <laughs> covered and especially you know with my heart and the way that i can be um i'm so i mean i'm the guy in heaven running around naked going jesus let me in (laughs) that's gonna be me you know like he let me in let this guy get to be here um you know he invited me or that happens in lakanto too i hear you can do that here (laughs) in florida you can run around naked um yeah Yeah. is it martin luther that said we're all of us are beggars showing other beggars where we found Come on, the bread. And that's our, that's what our job is as youth, as student pastors, youth directors. We're beggars showing students where we found bread. Yeah, I want them to, I want them to walk away from a talk going, wow, like God saved Mikey. He can, mm-hmm. and God is doing work through Mikey and sanctifying him. He can sanctify me, you know. And it's going to be incredibly messy. But guess what, kids, students? I'm in with you. I'm here for you. I want to walk the mess with you. Just like my youth pastor did. Just like my parents still are with me at 31 years old walking through the mess. You know, just like, you know, my friends and peers and neighbors and my fellow church members are walking with Mikey through the mess. Um, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. a painful, hard at times crushing and overwhelming experience, but just, it is so, it's just the best. It's the best way to live. You know what I mean? It's it's the greatest adventure. I could not, I, more than anything, I want all my kids to be on it. All my students to be on this adventure of sanctification and of growing and of wrestling and of fighting and of trying and from the spirit of God loves me, you know? And so that, that, that gets me excited. I think I think we're gonna just tie it all up, and oh, well, go wait, ahead, real man. quick, real quick before we go, yeah, I just I would like to say, like you know, if we're talking about how does our theology shape how we do ministry, it's the same for whether we're how we do ministry, the same how we parent, and when we look at the gospel, right? If we're gonna do the order of salvation, right? You've got total depravity, which means I or total incapability. I am I am a corpse, and a corpse cannot seek medical attention right so it requires an outside actor to come in right and that is unconditional us being saved is not based on anything on our condition right and this is all god's choices right and he picks who he picks and when he picks you you cannot resist against that right and if all those things are true then it's impossible for us not to persevere and make it to the mm-hmm. end, right? So when we look at that, when we look at how, like how, how our reformed perspective, that's what that's how we see this plays out. Then what that put what that does for Mikey, what that does for Meredith, what that does for the parent, is that we are not responsible for the salvation of our students. Mm-hmm. God is. We are joyful, willing 
participants in God's work that we get to come along. It is the equivalent of like, you know, my dad was a cop. And anytime I got to be in proximity of my dad doing his work, it was like the coolest thing as a little kid. Mm -hmm. When you're a little kid and you get to get in the police car in the front, in the police car, right? Or if your dad's a firefighter and you get to climb in on the fire engine and go on the call, like they're the ones doing the work, but you're there with them and you get to observe it and you get to see it happen and you get to be aware of it. That's what we get to do with our students. That's what we get to do with our children. Mm-hmm. The father does all this work. We are given the the invitation to guide, to shepherd, to participate, but it does not depend on us. And I think our parents need to, to hear that, that they need to know that God is the one that's sovereign and God's doing this work and we can aid in it. And we as youth leaders, we like if we if it depends on us, we can't ever go home. Oh yeah. If it depends on us, then we could say the wrong thing. If it depends on us, all hope is lost. If it depends on the Father, which is what our theology tells us, then it's just rejoicing and joy and privilege to be a part of the process. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, mm-hmm. Love you guys. Love you too, love my you. love. Love you, listeners. We'll uh, we'll keep these coming for y'all, and uh, go to pcanextgen.com and connect with us. student ministry connect with us at www.pcanextgen.com